my student involvement secured me a recommendation letter from someone I would not have gotten one from other otherwise. Um, it was not like a professor of mine that taught a class or anything like that. It was through ACS. We worked closely with the department chair, Dr. Britton. So I got a, a recommendation letter, a glowing recommendation letter from Dr. Britton. And had I not been involved through the American Chemical Society for three years, um, I don't. I wouldn't have gotten that. Uh, I would maybe not even have met him. Welcome back. This is uh, the first time I get to do an intro, and I am uh, pretty excited. Uh, senior biochemistry student, ACS vice president, active podcast listener, podcaster himself, pickling enthusiastic, Nick Corral, everybody. How are you, Nick? I'm good. It's my first time being on a podcast, so yeah. um, I'm pretty excited, kind of nervous, um, but uh, I'm, I'm ready for, for whatever's in store today. I, I have no idea what you're going to be talking to me about. Um, but I think we're going to talk about graduate school. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think so, too. I think that's what uh, our editors uh, had on our notes. Uh, so let's dive right in. So uh, you are a senior biochemistry student here at Texas State. Um, you've already kind of gone through your Ph.D. application process. So let's go back around uh, maybe July, August. When did your application process begin, would you say? Yeah, so... Um and I, I'd like to give myself a little bit of background yeah. because for a very long time, I want to go to medical school. Mm. And um, so y you know this, um, but you don't maybe know everything that was going through my head while I was trying to decide. We've had our fair share of conversations, but um, more or less, um, and you know, Chris articulated this really well on the last podcast. Um, you kind of go into college with a few careers in mind that um, sound really nice to you and that you could definitely see yourself um, pursuing. And then as you move through college, you start to see um, that the world is a much bigger place than you might have thought it was as a freshman. Um, so I, I wasn't really re introduced to um, the career of a scientist uh, until I would argue way too late. Um, mm. And I'll also explain that it's not the end of the world because I think things turned out just fine. But, I think so too. Um, that's one thing I would like to, you know, in, in the future, not to go on a huge tangent, but like I'd like to improve on that as people knowing about more careers they might be able to pursue later. So, um, yeah, I want to go to med school. Um, I thought that was great for me. Um, no one in my family's ever been uh, a physician or an, even a nurse, um, at least in, in my immediate family that I've ever met. Um, I have a very, very large family. That, yeah, Hispanics you know, do. Right. So, um, and I gave it my all, you know, I, 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 I did all the volunteering. I did all the, the shadowing. I was a medical scribe for a very long oh, time yeah. and I liked it. And even to this day, I think there was still, um, alternate reality where I might've become a physician and I would have lived a very long and happy career. Uh, but I got involved in this thing called, uh, research my junior <laughs> year and I loved it. Um, I, I really did. I liked even like the failures I found very, um, they encouraged me to think in a way that I had never thought before. And, um, like not in a way that you do when you're like studying for an exam, um, in a way that like it's constantly pushing you to pursue, um, a different way of thinking about something, you know, critically thinking, problem solving, all that I found really cool. And then like 
I, I got interested in science because of medicine. So um, it was all at least um, in parallel related. So, uh, you know, after some time I decided, okay, well, I think, um, I think I want to be a scientist. Uh, and, and, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I started to, I, I mean, you really think about it. Like I, even when I wanted to be a physician, I wanted to be a physician in academia and it's like, well, that's like one of those signs. It was just like, well, why don't you just become a scientist mm -hmm. and study like in the biomedical field? Um, so there was like tiny little hints like that throughout college that I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. And then once I realized that I could actually do this, I mean, my PI, Dr. Peterson was the first person to actually like directly tell me I could be a scientist. Like no one actually told me that before. And mm -hmm. we're talking like junior year. So it's kind of crazy. It's pretty deep in your to, career. Yeah. It's kind of like, what a shame, right? Like what if yeah. someone told me that when I was like in high school? Um, and that's okay. I mean, I paid my own path and, and like I said, I, I think things turned out just fine. Um, and one thing to emphasize is like really never too late to change careers. I changed my, uh, you know, right before senior year. So, um, although I was working really hard in, in everything I was doing, that kind of, that was my goal as a freshman. I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. So I wanted to just work really hard so I could have as many options available to me. And I won't say that's the easiest route to go because, um, requires a lot of work, um, to do well in your classes, to be well-rounded extracurricularly to, um, you know, not only just, you know, pursue a, a challenging major, but also have like a minor and whatnot. And so, um, it was, it was, it was, it was difficult, but, um, I wouldn't change any of that because it did allow me to, to pivot pretty late in college and say, you know what, I think I've decided finally, this is like the best career option for me. And then I just went full speed. So what does that mean? Um, you asked, you know, when did I kind of start my application to graduate school? Uh, it was after full-time summer research experience that I was like, okay, let's do it. I want to go to graduate school, get my PhD in, you know, um, molecular biology or, or like a biochemistry related uh, program. And, you know, these titles are, they're kind of specific, but they all, they're kind of all the same thing. Like biomedical sciences, like molecular biology, like all that stuff, it can kind of be the same thing. Um, and, and I can kind of get into the nuance of that um, later, but um, ultimately I said, okay, let's, let's, let's apply to PhD programs. And I got to thank Dr. Peterson for that. He, he definitely pointed me in that direction. And we, we started to like plan for, you know, when I need to start applying, what I need to do to get, a, you know, prepared for that. And, um, I think the first thing, and this was actually something he was encouraging me to do before I decided to even go to graduate school, which was, uh, apply to a fellowship, which mm -hmm. is the national science foundation, graduate research fellowship. And this is a huge fellowship that's available to, and we touched us and touched on this in the podcast with Chris, huge podcast available to, um, not podcast, huge fellowship, fellowship available to all, um, senior undergraduates and first or second year graduate students. Uh, so you get two tries to apply to this fellowship and essentially it just, um, you know, pays for your graduate education. And it's like, a that the reason that's important is just because that means that you're principal investigator in graduate school doesn't have to pay for you. Someone external from the institution yeah. does. And that's, that's great. And, um, you know, whether or not I got it, I, I get it. I, I don't know yet, but oh, um, you don't know yet. No, you, I found out in April. Oh, so I, I applied to that. And the reason I'm bringing all that up is because, um, it was a great experience, both, um, preparing me to literally design my own research project. Um, cause I, I worked on my own research project, um, junior and senior year, but I never designed one. Um, mm -hmm. like I designed experiments, 
but I didn't design from beginning to end. Like the whole unique, idea. Yeah. So the whole thing about the fellowship is it can't just be something that your PI puts on you and you write about it like a, like a grant maybe. It's a, it's a fellowship. It has to be your own intellectual work. Um, so that in and of itself was a lot of Sounds work hard. And, and it was hard, but it was like super rewarding. And I, that was one of those other hints. that was like, oh, actually, I think I could do this thing called, you know, science. And like, I could write for grant. I like writing for, for, for research, you know, doing experiments and all that. Um, in addition to the actual in-lab work. So that was one of those hints. It was like, okay, you can do this. You should do this. Um, in addition to writing for my own research project, my designing my own research project for graduate school, which is not binding, by the way, I don't actually have, I'm not, even if I get this, I don't have to do that. Um, it's more just to see like how well you can actually prepare for uh, or, or propose a, a research project. Mm -hmm. I also had to um, almost like prepare myself as a student for graduate school like um i had to write a personal statement that was like three pages which is actually really long uh longer than most graduate school applications um and it's basically my life story what i probably just said in the last five minutes um <laughs> but much better articulated and um easier to to follow along with in addition to that statement there was also a cv and all that other stuff so that was really important in preparing me for applying to graduate school because the deadline for that was actually earlier than the deadline for graduate school applications. It was in October deadline for graduate school applications are typically in December, December 1st. And, um, so just to preface, I, I'm saying graduate school, graduate school. Um, my experience has been applying to PhD programs. So, um, there are also masters, uh, degrees, and that's also considered going to graduate school. So, if I make that mistake, I apologize, but yes. So um, December, uh, December 1st are typically the, the deadline to apply for a PhD program. Um, I think master's programs have deadlines in the spring. Um, so yes, uh, NSF, GRFP, Graduate Research Fellowship Program, uh, was super helpful in preparing me for my application to grad school, but um, there was a lot of work that went into that application that, that lasted many years before. I mean. My uh, prepare, preparation for graduate school, even though I wasn't initially planning on going to graduate school, started much earlier. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like why we're doing this podcast today, why we're talking about applying to graduate school is in combination with the conversation with Chris. Uh, we did touch on it a little bit. And then um, last week, two weeks ago, no, last week, uh, me and Chris gave like a pretty simple presentation to our research lab at our, our lab meeting. Um, just like 10 things to do before going to graduate school. Um, it was a good idea. Dr. Peterson wanted us to do it because there's a few members in our lab that, um, they're like the next generation, if you will. And, um, they, they, they're considering either going to some sort of professional school or, um, a few are actually thinking about going to graduate school as well. So, uh, we, we, we drafted this quick PowerPoint presentation while all this information is still kind of fresh in our mind. We, we talked maybe like half hour or so uh, and put together what we thought were like, I don't even know if it was exactly 10, but it was about 10 things that you should do before applying to graduate school. And it was great. Uh, with the exception of one thing, there were like two people, maybe three that would actually benefit from that presentation <laughs> in the zoom meeting. Cause it was just our lab. Yeah. So um, I figured, Hey, I have this podcast. Um, maybe I should, uh, you know, on behalf of me and Chris uh, tell it to the, broader Texas state chemistry, biochemistry community, 
uh, that might be interested in potentially going to graduate school. Uh, and I want to preface um, before I go into these 10 things to do before graduate school that uh, this is not a exhaustive list. Um, it is kind of like the big main points. And the other thing I want to uh, emphasize is that I, I don't per se want to give a lot of advice. Um, I'm, I'm merely just kind of sharing my experience uh, because there are different paths that you can take to getting into graduate school. Um, I think I took a very, um, again, with the exception of wanting to go to medical school for three years, um, I think I took a pretty traditional route in like what you should do to prepare yourself. Because at the end of the day, like, a prepare, like preparing for a medical school application versus a graduate school application, um, they're very similar. You got to get your volunteering. You got to get, um, you know, you got to get those things on your CV to bolster, you know, your, your, your uh, reputation and, and, and you got to do research. And all. so a lot of the stuff is um, applicable, even if you're not for sure wanting to go to graduate school. I mean, if there's anything I should um, like say again is that it's okay if you're not sure. Um, I wasn't sure until like a year ago. So, um, actually less than a year ago. So, uh, if you're, if you're not absolutely sure, I would maybe still listen cause you could probably benefit from this. Even if you want to listen to, um, how to prepare for a medical school application or a graduate school application, I think there's a lot of takeaways that you can get from both. So, um, what is the first thing that you should do? Uh, or one of the first things that I, I definitely put a priority on, uh, taking care of, um, involving yourself in before you apply to a graduate school program. I think you need to get involved. Um, and that's very broad, uh, because we didn't want to make the slides longer than like 10 slides. So, uh, get involved. What does that mean? That means research, look for internship experiences, get a job, uh, involve yourself in co-curricular extracurricular organizations, uh, and, and within that, there's volunteering. That, that's a ton of stuff. Um, and all of that is really important because it, it supplements the stuff that you learn in your class. Uh, when I say get a job, you know, everyone's got to make money. And, like, there are some jobs that pay really well, um, and that's important. Um, but there's also really, mean, like, um, real rewarding jobs that you can do at your institution that can perhaps provide you with more meaningful work, even if they are... Um, even if they do pay less. Those jobs, for example, um, you could be a private tutor, um, a tutor with some sort of organization like the Student Learning Assistance Center. Um, you could be an IATA. Um, and um, I think I'm missing a big one, but maybe not. Academic-related jobs, um, those, are, those are important. Um, those will really help you when it comes to finding mentors and, and whatnot. Um, which could either be your boss um, or, or networking with other students because you're constantly interacting with students and that can be really good too. Um, I mentioned research and I'll talk a little bit more about research later. Extracurricular organizations. Um, it's really important to be a part of these organizations, again, because of that network that you immediately involve yourself in. You get to find meaning in this really hard thing that we go through called uh, college, which could be made much easier if you, um, I guess, form those relationships with people and um, have this supportive group that can kind of propel you forward. So especially like freshman and sophomore year, getting involved is super, super important. Um, and there's plenty of like really good organizations at Texas State. And I will say um, when it comes to graduate school, 
being a part of these organizations that are like national is also really cool because they recognize those immediately. So if you're like the student chapter of, and you know, both of us are leaders in the American chemical society, that's a, that's a well nationally renowned organization. So a student chapter of that everyone knows what that is. Everyone knows what ACS is about. That's a great um, organization that you can become a part of and do chemistry or graduate school, professional school related um, volunteering networking, professional stuff, that, that, that's, that's all good. Um, great way to get your foot in the door to maybe someone's research lab one day and whatnot. And now at Texas State, just briefly want to plug these, there's like these new research-related organizations. We talked last semester with Dr. Betancourt, PREM, Partnership for Research and Engineering and Material Science. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm, not, I'm not too sure. And now there's like a new one called URISE, and URISE is also a pretty national thing. Um, it's undergraduate um, research. Oh, I got to remember these acronyms. URISE, it's an it's undergraduate research program that really helps streamline people into um, graduate school and, and, and graduate school and the careers that follow graduate school. So um, we will be having the director of you rise at Texas State in the future to talk more about that in a way that I could not. Um, all that is to say, getting involved in extracurricular organizations has benefited me a lot. I would certainly at least give it a try. Um, the people that I've met throughout my journey in college through ACS or another good one is like Medical Explorers mm. have really shaped the person or the student that I am today. And um, yeah, I, I absolutely would um, recommend any person if they were to ask me something to do in preparation for grad school, it would be that. Um, to give you a break, maybe yeah, for yeah. water. Um, I also think it's very important with these applications because with any application process, uh, I guess in this case we're talking about PhD school, graduate school, all that stuff. Um, whoever's reading your application only knows you through an application, right? Like they don't have anything else to basically make a person out of you. So it's really important what you put in that application. What I mean is that everybody or most people can get good grades. You know, everybody can get a three or a 3.5 or a 4.0 GPA. But it's the, what does this person do outside of a textbook? Because everybody can do a calculation. Everybody can read a book and then take a test on it and, you know, do fairly well. But it's those extracurricular activities, I think, personally, that separate somebody who's a, I'm going to do this and tunnel vision myself into this field with somebody who's basically more open into, oh, I'm going to be part of the American Chemical Society so that I can then go volunteer at an elementary school. And then, you know, it just kind of makes a snowball effect of making you an outstanding student among other, you know, good students. And I think that's one way that you can differentiate yourself. And it's basically getting involved with many different organizations. And whenever there's a pool of applicants, you know, the first thing would be like, okay, who has a good GPA? You know, 3.5, 3.5, okay. But this person is involved in these extracurricular activities. This person is not. And, you know, and I think that in itself may get you an interview. I think, you know, if you put that you were part of, you know, medical explorers and you did this workshop on, uh, I think they did one that was like stop the bleed or something like that. Like that in itself already kind of tells a little bit about the person and like what they're interested. 
And, you know, it may give you an interview, in my opinion. I don't know what you think about so that. there's two things I would add to what you said. And my last pitch for getting involved, um, one is an anecdote. And um, in my interview with UCLA, I had an interview with the director of the program. And um, that was actually the first time I did any interviews. It was, um, I, I had no idea what to really expect. Um, I think uh, I was given some some good uh, like insight onto what to kind of expect and prepare for, but you really like, you don't really know until you do your first interview. And so mine was with the director of UCLA. And um, the first thing he said was not like, tell me about your research project or, um, you know, uh, discussing one of my, fellowship awards that I got or something like that. It was, tell me about your leadership experience. Mm. I can't wait to hear about what you did with this or that. And um, shortly after my computer froze. Uh, but <laughs> I, I mentioned this um, because, I mean, that's got to mean something, right? Um, the fact that like, that was the first thing that this person wanted to know about. Uh, really, I mean, it's got to mean something. I, I, yeah. I, I, I'm now using that as like my main motivation for people to get involved because um, like that in graduate school you might not have as enough enough time to be maybe as involved as you are in college so to maybe ground yourself in that in college is really important because it'll make it more natural for you to find an, another organization in graduate school and maybe do some side projects in addition to your training but I mean, in graduate school, your, your main objective is to get uh, the, the training required for you to become a functioning scientist. So um, having that experience already with you when going to graduate school is also going to be great. I think what you just said amplifies what we're talking about. That the fact that he didn't ask about your research first, he asked about your leadership skills and you know activities and stuff like that. Again, like the amount of applications that they probably receive that are like that the first few things are so similar, like grades and, you know, GPA and whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, I'm sure that, I think you said it was like 800 applicants for one of the programs that you applied. Like, I'm pretty sure if you're applying to a PhD program, your grades are there. Or at least, you know, they should be when you're applying to, you know, this type of stuff. Like, there's, there should be more for you to be differentiated from the crowd. And I think that's one of the best ways you could you know, do it is get involved in different organizations. Even more so, let's say your grades aren't there. Um, one, two things I'm not going to talk about today are your GPA and your uh, graduate research exam, um, mm -hmm. your GRE. GRE. Um, I believe that's what that stands for. Um, <laughs> though, uh, universally, with all the programs that I've applied to, and I applied to eight, um, none were requiring mm -hmm. a GPA limit. Um, Interesting. Uh, a lower limit and none required me to submit my GRE examination score. Um, so I didn't even take it. Um, and I think that's something that's very recent. Yeah. Um, a lot of it had to do with COVID and, um, but I do, I do, I, I think a lot of programs are no longer going to require that because um, over and over again, studies have shown that your GRE score is not an accurate representation of how well you will be doing in graduate school and there are on after so a lot of programs are like i don't care about it anymore i'm not going to speak for every program but all the ones that i apply to which is eight um didn't even care i think so, it's a good i think it's a good step forward and if they do maybe that's just something about the program so maybe like i, I again i'm not gonna really like name programs or anything like that but 
these are things that you can kind of think about. The other thing I wanted to say about getting involved and the final thing was um, my student involvement secured me a recommendation letter from someone I would not have gotten one from either otherwise. Um, it was not like a professor of mine that taught a class or anything like that. It was through ACS. We worked closely with the department chair, Dr. Britton. So I got a, a recommendation letter, a glowing recommendation letter from Dr. Britton. And had I not been involved through the American Chemical Society for three years, um, I, don't, I wouldn't have gotten that. Uh, I would maybe not even have met him. Uh, he is a busy guy. Um, Very so, busy. So, again, uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit as well, but letter writers are extremely important. Um, they can really um, make, give, your, give your application that extra push it might need um, and tell a story about you that you couldn't really tell yourself or um, expand on your story. So you do all this getting involved. Um, another small, you know, thing I recommend is like, make sure you're recording all of this um, as you go, whether or not you have a CV or just a giant Excel sheet with all your volunteer hours, record your volunteer hours, record your lab research hours as well. I actually had like a little diary on Excel. Um, <laughs> and um, it was just like in one sentence or less what I did that day in case I needed to look back on it a month later, uh, which I hardly did, but I did find it kind of like um, helpful to just track everything I'm doing day by day. I would never shared it to anybody or anything. It was just helpful for me to understand uh, or to, to put every, all my work in one place. And, and then at the end, counting all those hours, uh, when you apply to graduate schools, especially if you apply to like eight, which I would say is a high number of graduate. I didn't, I didn't say that earlier. It is actually a lot of graduate programs. And had I, I'm glad I did that many, but um, knowing what I do now, I would have done maybe a little bit less. Mm. My point is, um, you have to you have to put in those hours sometimes in some applications. They want to know how many hours you did for, for in my in my case, American Chemical Society versus how many hours I did for my time in Medical Explorers, mm. versus um, how many hours I did in uh, research. So, and and one more note on the research is. Uh, how many part-time hours I did and how many full-time hours I did. What does that even mean? Yeah, so um, right now we're in the middle of the spring semester and uh, I am a part-time undergraduate researcher. I cannot spend more than maybe like eight to 10 oh, hours or in, in some weeks, unfortunately, like 15, uh, just because that's how research is. Sometimes I got to spend a big chunk of my week in, in research and the next week I kind of take off to focus on my courses. But the, the point is I'll... A lot of my time during the semester is taken up by my courses and by my extracurricular involvement and so on and so forth. So programs actually ask you for your part-time and full-time because to know, I, I mean, I, I actually don't know exactly why, but I would say how much full-time research experience is also really helpful in knowing overall how much you've committed to research. Um, so they, they actually, in some programs, they do ask specifically how much of it was part-time and how, how much of it was full-time. So having a record of your volunteer hours makes filling out those applications much easier when the time comes. Uh, and I know, uh, again, a lot of my perspective is graduate school, but like from what I've, from the years of preparing for medical school, um, those are even more detailed applications. Um, and a lot of the time, I guess they are, uh, like umbrella applications where you can apply to like all the schools in Texas, but it is still a lot that you have to put in. So um, recording your volunteer hours, hours is really important. And then now let's talk about summer research, full-time research experience. I, this is something I think is really important. And there's many ways you can do this through 
Um, I can talk about my experience and some of my, uh, the experiences of my friends, and even you could talk about your experience, Edgar. Full-time research experience allows you to spend, you know, a nine-to-five, more or less, uh, time in your in your research lab. Focus only on your, pro- or at least primarily on your research project, um, and and fine-tuning those those research skills that you've been working on during the semester. Or um, even what I recommend to a lot of people is um, maybe starting research in the summer, um, because then you learn all these skills during the summer. Hopefully you're doing it through a program like an REU, a research experience for undergraduates, where they pay you, they give you a stipend to work on research. And that's great because then you don't have to think about you know, working or anything like that. Having that full-time research experience really allows you to see, okay, if I'm going to choose this as a career, is this something I am enjoying, so on and so forth. And if you've never done research before, starting in the summer, whether, again, whether or not it's with an RU or maybe you just have a private arrangement with your principal investigator like I did, um, then you come into the fall semester and you have all these cool skills and it's much easier than work uh, efficiently part-time during the semester. So you have these okay. courses going on, your mornings are taken up with lectures. You're much able to, you're, you're I would say, much more comfortable in the lab scheduling things. A lot of being a, a researcher is... Um, Organizing your time. I was going to say time management. Time management. So uh, having that down during the summer would be like super, like if I could go back, that's something I would do. I started um, research in the fall. Uh, so I, I had to kind of figure out the time management and stuff during the fall semester. Fortunately, I didn't have that many credits, but um, had I done it during the summer, uh, that would have been great. Um, fortunately, that year, uh, nobody was in their research lab. <laughs> that was summer 2020. Um, so uh, in addition to the summer research, a lot of programs, they also let you like present your work at conferences um, or symposiums. Uh, I know for the last few years, the summer undergraduate research experience, sure program, uh, which is no longer active. They would have like a symposium at the end of the summer. So no matter what you did, you could make a poster, present it. Um, it's not like a huge thing or anything. Uh, but Great experience. A, yeah, it's a great like initial hey, this is what it means to present your research. You have to work on your elevator pitch. You have to work on your communication skills. Um, talking for long periods of time without a glass of water. Um, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a, a pro at this now. Um, all pretty important skills. And, of course, look great on your CV. So, um, in addition to summer research uh, and getting involved, you now have kind of, if you want to think about it chronologically in the way that I'm talking, um, you've, you've started to accrue a lot of stuff that can go on your CV. Um, your CV is extremely important. Um, curriculum vitae, uh, that's what CV stands for. And um, I keep saying CV, 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 because um, I've over the time realized that a resume isn't quite um, as helpful, especially if you want to go into a career like graduate school. Most people, most professors, most people in graduate school, they actually do a CV. So what's the difference? A resume is typically tailored to whatever you are applying for, interviewing for, so on. I mean, it, whether it's a job. Um, resumes are like a page. Shouldn't really be much more than a page. If it is, then maybe you should just submit a CV if you can. Um, CVs is everything that you've ever done. It should be a long, multiple pages of your education, your extracurricular involvement, your research experience, your awards. I mean, everything you could fit. Um, everything you've noted over the years that is worth um, 
professionally professionally telling to some sort of application committee um so that's what i would say with my with, with the cv like and and i think chris said this um as well he was like a freshman he didn't have a lot of stuff on like to to really like display yet but he had a cv anyway it was like a basically an empty cv but he said like it was kind of cool like people actually when they would see that he had a cv as a freshman they'd be like oh well that's kind of cool you're 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 like i guess really well prepared even though there's nothing on yeah, there it's just I mean, there might name. be like a few things on yeah it's just like a name and an address but um no no for real though if 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 you have that cv early then it's just a matter of adding stuff maybe adjusting format over the years to your preference but um the the nice thing about cvs is they're very i guess it depends on how you think about it but they're very simple the formatting is very like easy to just skim through super quickly again because no one's going to spend very long in your cv at all you put all this time into it and then like people just glance at it really quickly um but very very important to have a nice um organized cv that you kept track of over over the years um and so okay cool now you now you've been involved now you've put all this information on a cv you have a good amount of experience in in a few different things now including research including your extracurricular involvement maybe you have a job maybe you have an internship under your belt Again, kind of touched on this last time with Chris, but you need to apply for funding opportunities for many reasons, right? It's important to fund for yourself and get through college. Um, but it also gives you a level of um, prestige, I guess, um, recognition for the work that you do. Um, because when you apply for these awards, you are looked at through a pool of applicants. And if you receive an award, that is one way of the the graduate school knowing that, oh, you are very competitive. You have a history of being competitive. Another thing I'll add to the funding opportunities is they can be internal or external. What I mean by internal, external, internal typically means something in your institution, in your department, for example, every spring, the chemistry department, the College of Science and Engineering, COSI, they have their set of scholarships and um, there are several and historically they have a low number of applicants, which is just a interesting fact um, that I use to tell people to apply because there are so many, like, there are a good amount of awards and not a lot of people apply for them. So you wouldn't, even if you don't think you would get one, I always recommend to apply. Why? Because, well, you might get one and because preparing for a scholarship or fellowship application forces you to synthesize a story about yourself, to make that CV, to, and I, I don't know, I personally struggle a lot writing about myself, talking about myself. Um, I don't like it. I, I don't feel like it's productive, even though it's very productive for you in your future. Um, it's something you have to really work at. You can't just like, it has to be a very well topically written uh, story about yourself that gets somebody interested and it's really like a research proposal but for yourself mm. you're it, proposing that's, yourself that's how i've kind of thought about it like um your personal statement if you will is really like um a proposal like hey this is what i'm 
I'm proposing myself to you. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What, I mean, what, am I competitive? Should, should I be admitted into your program? So just to summarize, applying for these funding opportunities, super, super helpful in um, getting that skill. It's, it really is a skill of writing about yourself. Because why? Because when you apply to graduate school, you have to write a personal statement. And that is, I kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, I talked about it a little bit earlier. This personal statement is much easier to write if you've already written for like maybe five scholarships throughout mm-hmm. college. You kind of, I mean, it always changes, especially if you're like me. Um, your story does change a lot. And that's, and I don't know, I would say that's a good thing. That means that you've been really active in your professional development. But then it becomes a little bit easier to write about yourself. Um, when you're applying for funding opportunities, you typically need like one, two, maybe three recommendation letter writers. So having that as well, forcing yourself to like ask that professor that you did, you know, uh, well in, in their class, could you write a recommendation letter, a good, a strong recommendation letter for me? Um, that's really good as well. That, that person, you can then maybe consider writing a graduate school or a graduate program recommendation letter for you. And so now I guess I wanted to talk about the personal statement for graduate school, specifically for graduate school. Um, and this is like, I mean, if you're a sophomore, um, or even a junior, like don't really have to start thinking about this quite yet. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but the personal statement, a lot of people dread it. It's, it's a lot of work. I wrote mine over a period of months, partly because I was preparing for this graduate research fellowship. All they really want to know is why are you applying to graduate school? What have you done to prepare for graduate school? And then what do you want to do in graduate school? More or less, right? That's typically the outline of a a personal statement. And because all of this ties in with each other, your personal statement should reflect everything in your CV. If it does not, don't include it. You don't get a lot of state, uh, space in your personal statement, so sometimes that's not possible, and that's where your CV can kind of elaborate more. Actually, sorry, it's the other way around. Your personal statement elaborates on your CV, I should say. But exactly, so that CV, you have done first. You have that done. It's all nice, organized. Then writing the personal statement is much easier. You just go off of that, and you say, okay, well, I need to write about this. I need to write about this. And what do your reference letter writers use to write their letters your cv your cv yeah everything that is in your cv they then and and i i got a nice explanation of this by dr peterson his exact method for writing a recommendation letter is he looks at the cv he sees the experience the gpa whatever and he that's like the topic sentence right there and he'll just write go from the cv go back and forth see something in the cv writes his letter goes back to the cv over and over again I think it's also a really good idea, and especially for, you know, graduate school applications to have meetings with your recommenders about what you want their, you know, what you want them to highlight in your uh, recommendation letter or something like that. Because I know I'm trying to think like, you know, if I was writing a recommendation letter, obviously I'd want a CV to at least base some of my thinking off of. 
But if we would meet together and you would tell me like, this is the mission statement for the program I'm applying to. Um, I would like, you know, for my leadership skills to be highlighted or like my research experience to be highlighted, you know, just give, giving some type of direction, I'm assuming would be very helpful. So yeah. I'm sure you had some of those so meetings. It, what I did exactly was, hi, you know, you've seen a lot uh, over the years on my research experience, on my teaching experience as a supplemental instructor, instructor. I believe you know me well enough to write a strong recommendation letter for me. Could you please do this? Here's the deadline. Blah, blah, blah. I, I tell them what they would be able to write well about. Just mm -hmm. to remind yeah. them, right? They write tons of these. Tons. Um, so in my, um, I guess, request for a letter in the email or in person, I say, hey, because of these reasons, I think you could write a good letter. And then, I don't know. I, I never had, like, meetings with mm -hmm. my recommendation letter writers of, like, what they should write. Um, and... Uh, Really common advice, you'll hear it all the time, is like tell your recommendation letter writers early so they can prepare and all that. <laughs> um, in my experience, like that, uh, it's definitely the polite thing to do and you should absolutely do it. But um, like, I don't know, recommendation letter writers don't really start until like a week before the deadline <laughs> anyway. Um, but they have had your CV for a while. It's in their head. They know they have to do it. It's just like, that's how it is. I mean, professors are extremely busy people. So Yes, tell them early. It's it's really helpful in 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 allowing them to be prepared to write you a strong recommendation. And, and everyone says always say, "Can you write me a strong recommendation letter?" Just because, and I don't know who said this, but I think it was Doctor Peterson. The best response you could get when asking for a recommendation letter is a strong recommendation letter is. No, I can't. Because at least they're being honest with you. You don't want to get a recommendation letter that is subpar or one that sounds very generic, that isn't very detailed, that doesn't really elaborate on anything that isn't already in your personal statement. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was like the best response you could get when you ask somebody. So it really doesn't hurt to ask Almost every time I've asked for and for anything, not just graduate school, if I could get a you know strong recommendation letter or a reference, it's like an absolute yes. Like yeah, of course, you know, just let me know when the deadline is. Remind me, bug me. You know, that's the typical response. That's also something that you should do. I won't like deviate that much from the conversation, but I feel like whenever I was asking for like re uh, reference letters, I would be like, I don't want to remind them again. Like I already sent that email. I don't want to send another one because I'm going to yeah. sound like I'm annoying. But, you know, you like you said, like they more than likely write it a week before the deadline. And most professors do like being, quote unquote, annoyed to like remind them about it because they have like a million other things that they're also, you know, doing at the same time. So I'm pretty sure yeah. like, just hey, just letting you know this Friday, 5 p.m., that's the deadline. I'm, I'm, I remember doing that for like a couple of my professors. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, like. If you think about it, if you think you're truly being annoying, I guess just empathize with the professor a bit. If you honestly are being annoying, I mean, how annoying could you really be? If yeah. it's just an email, it's an email. You know how like quickly it is to just like see an email in your inbox and then just go to the next one. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, they're reminding me. Okay, moving cool. forward. Like, you're there, not gonna be that. There's a like button just sending, on Outlook. Yeah, if you're just saying a reminder, there is. 
I, yeah, dude, I found that out like a, a week ago. <laughs> like, cause somebody liked a, an email. Like it said, so and so liked the email, and wow. I was like, what? the more you know. I know, right? So yeah, you're really not gonna be that annoying. Um, more often than not, you're just a subtle reminder. A polite, subtle reminder is more than enough, and it's very appreciated. So that's kind of all I wanted to say about the recommendation letter writers. Um, Maybe one more thing, which is for graduate school, one of them has to be like your principal investigator that you worked with, um, at least the one that you worked with that you got your main research experience with. You might have worked with multiple. In that case, you would probably want to get one from each. In my case, my only real um, principal investigator was Dr. Peterson. So then you can kind of be strategic in the other ones that you want to choose. In my case, I really wanted to emphasize my American Chemical Society involvement. So Dr. Britton was a great choice. The third recommendation letter writer that I wanted to use was someone who knew me as a student. Because Dr. Peterson doesn't know me as a student. He knows me as a researcher, um, an undergraduate researcher. He doesn't, he doesn't see my grades or anything, uh, but he can tell. I mean, like, he doesn't able to talk about that as much. So I asked one of the professors I had in multiple classes, one that's seen a very long essay that I've written before, so they can know how I am as a writer. Um, and then, of course, just like how well my performance was in their class. Um, and that was Dr. Karen Lewis. And, and she was also able to see some of my extracurricular involvement and talk on that. So having a recommendation letter writer that can talk about different things in that story of yours is, is very nice to provide a very well rounded, well-informed application uh, for, the, for the application committee. So that would that'd be like the last thing I would say is like strategically picking those letter writers. You don't want to get like three professors who were just your teachers um, in a class because, you know, they might write really nice letters, but it's like, okay, well, what about this like leadership experience that they had? Like they couldn't talk about that in their letter. Um, so it's not like a deal breaker or anything. It's like not going to be what decides that you get into graduate school or not. Maybe it would. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't think so, but that's something you should also maybe try to consider. So consider and anything that you get involved with, maybe think about like, Oh, this person could potentially write a letter for me one day. So start kind of eyeballing, seeing what kind of people those, uh, who those people could be. The, one of the last few things I want to talk about is, um, you want to talk to a lot of people. Um, you want to talk to people, a lot of people. And what do I mean by that? What do I, what do I mean by that? In my case, I wanted to go to med school. And part of that was because I was involved in that world for a long time now, uh, throughout college. I was talking to a lot of physicians, a lot of, even like EMTs, paramedics, nurses. I was in those organizations. I was surrounded by that community. And I liked it. So, of course, you're like, yes, yes, medical school, absolutely. Um, but then I started getting involved in research and I started talking to professors and getting their perspectives. And it's like, you don't get to hear about other careers if you're not talking to people from other careers if you're not 100% sure in what you want to do so all I'm saying is if all you talk to is you know physicians you're more than likely going to become a physician if that's what you sure. like but um so what I started to do is I started having conversations with physicians 
and professors. I started getting both sides of my interests. It started getting perspectives from both sides of my interests. In order to give myself like a, I guess a more unbiased pool of perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like, and, and Dr. Peterson has been great about this, about not pushing me into my decisions, like making, allowing me to make my own decisions. Um, and, and I just mentioned that because like he, he would never tell me like, Oh, you, you got to apply for grad school. Like, Oh, you got to do this fellowship. So he didn't want to have too much of an influence. And I do appreciate that. Even though i still ended up, you know, wanting to become a scientist. Um, so it, I think that was a very good thing that he did. Um, the worst thing is, I guess, choosing a career that you end up deciding later that you don't really want to be involved yeah. in. I think that could be really hard mentally and, and, and emotionally. So good on him. Uh, in addition to just talking to, you know, people in those careers, um, I talked a lot with people that were in the same boat as me. Um, again, Chris, uh, we both applied at the same time. We both have a lot of similar classes, little, or even our applications sometimes had very similar, similar parts things. of both SIs, both lab eyes. So uh, we talked all the time about our applications, about our letters, about our applications to the fellowship, um, because it was in part like, a again, that support system that I was talking about. And it was also just like um, having him to, to check me and I check him on like one way of doing something or um, fine tuning uh, this part of your personal statement. Like you need to be more direct when you say this, you need to stop rambling. <laughs> You're wasting lines mm-hmm. of text, uh, that sort of stuff. Super helpful. Having that support group is also really important. So talking to a lot of people, getting those different perspectives um, was very important to me. And, and when I did that, a lot of opportunities kind of presented themselves. Um, I would have, com- I'd tell a lot of faculty like, Hey, I'm thinking about applying to graduate school. They say, Oh, you should check out this program or, Oh, I know a person who went to this school or, um, their personal experience with PhDs, uh, PhD programs that allowed me to kind of like think of what to look for and what to kind of maybe stay away from. Um, so getting that holistic perspective is super important. Um, and whenever you tell a faculty member, especially at Texas state, like, because that's what I know, um, that you're interested in graduate school, they're so like, I guess, excited and happy to help, to help you yeah. because I mean, if you tell them you're going to medical school, awesome. But like, that's not what they did. Yeah. They, they don't have a lot of room to help you with that. Um, which is a drawback of, um, going to medical school, uh, at Texas state. Cause you, there is no Texas state medical school. Um, so you, there, that, so that is one, um, drawback I would say. Uh, but yeah, like getting those perspectives from the faculty and like, Oh yeah, you definitely like, apply to this scholarship. Um, Chris said like he, uh, he found out about um, ACS scholars through one of his professors. So like, yeah, talk to as many people as you can um, and keep in touch with them as well. Cause you never know one day you might need a letter from them. So that's true. You um, we're kind of like wrapping up just kind of like a whole overall yeah. application process and you mentioned support group. And so this conversation I'm, relatively aware of the process because I will also be looking to do that in the future. Mm. But something I don't necessarily know at the moment, which is definitely going to affect some sort of way in my decision and like the things of the future is family, like my own family, like my mom, my dad, my sister, family, you know, that I guess you'd say like immediate family. And I don't know exactly how it is in your case, but in my case, 
nobody even close to a PhD. Like, like mm-hmm. that, Same I guess here. you would say, like, that level of education or time in education. Um, I think I may have a distant uncle that has a master's in something, but, I mean, distant. Like, I don't communicate with that, you know, part of the family. And I guess my question would be, whenever you decided, because, I mean, three years is you know, a chunk of time that you've probably been telling your family, oh, yeah, med school, or like, oh, yeah, you know, physician, or oh, yeah. this and that. So I guess, like, I wanted to at least, at least for a little bit explore how was telling your family that you're not going to try and do graduate school and go for a doctorate? Like, how were they aware of, like, your interest in medical school to the point where they may be surprised that you now wanted to do graduate school? Or how did you maneuver through that? How was that? So maybe this is like um like I my family wasn't has never really been very involved in my career choices and like what I ultimately decide to do. They're always very supportive. I wanna underscore that. But um just not where they come from. They don't understand a lot of it. Um and I will say my father, you know, he is more involved in that, but at the same time, um, very hands off kind of like, uh, I like, yeah, kind of like how I like, you know, a research environment, very hands off allows me to kind of figure it out for myself. Um, so when I told him, it was just like, Oh, that's pretty big. Um, you know, you seem excited about it. Congrats. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll, I'll get into this. Uh, a little bit more later, but I guess part of my family is my partner. That conversation was also really important Mm -hmm. um, because wherever you go to graduate school or professional school, it's like at least a four-year commitment for graduate school is typically five. Yeah, I was going to say at the very least four. uh, For a PhD program, it is typically five Mm -hmm. um, or more um, depending on several factors. So, yeah, uh, a lot of people, you know, when you get into it, you have to think like, okay, what, what programs am I going to apply to? I, I applied to eight and that's a lot. Um, in part because I didn't know, I guess, how competitive I was going to be on a national level. Um, you know, I'd have like, and, and interestingly, so like Dr. Peterson, um, you know, he says like, yeah, I think you're a strong applicant and everything, but he's also a new, you know, he's, a, he's an emerging principal investigator. He's an assistant professor. He, he doesn't even have that much, um, I guess, insight into like how competitive I am on a national level. He has his own personal experience to speak from. So it was even hard for him to reassure me. So I would, you know, and, but I, I did get like, you know, yeah, you're going to do, you're going to get somewhere. You, you got this just very supportive, but you never know. Yeah. And so in my case, I was doing the strategy of applying to as many programs as I could without sacrificing the quality of my application because you could apply mm-hmm. to 20 programs and they could be 20 terrible applications yeah. because you can spread yourself very thin. And I would say, I would say I would have had a slightly better application to some of my programs had I done maybe seven because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay. eight, eight applications really pushed it at the end. Um, and so and I didn't even mention this, but um, so I could just briefly mention the, the programs that I applied to and see if you can pick up on a trend. Um, I applied to the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, 
UC Irvine, UC Riverside, UC San Diego, the University of Southern California, a private institution. Looks like you like the coast, huh? The uh, Scripps Institute of Research, which is based in La Jolla near San Diego, and um, the University of Texas at Austin. Hey! <laughs> yeah, and um, I think that was it. That was eight. Um, I, I wasn't counting from this. I believe so. Um, and if there's one more that I can't remember, then it'll come back up. It's, oh, and Caltech. Uh, I applied ah, to Caltech. Yes. Also based in California, Southern California. Yeah. So you didn't notice uh, seven out of those eight were in Southern California. And a big, and this is where I would say I was kind of a more, um, in a more unique situation. Uh, a big deciding factor in where I wanted to go to graduate school was um, where my partner was going to be in the next maybe five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a relationship that we are taking very seriously. And um, strategically, I wanted to be somewhere that I would be near my partner throughout graduate school uh, and after. So that was very helpful in narrowing down the programs. Like, I mean, in a situation where I didn't have a partner, yeah, I would have applied to like maybe a school in the, in, in the East Coast or something. Why not? There's great programs over there. Um, for example, like Dr. Peterson went to John Hopkins, a recommendation from letter from him and applying to John Hopkins would be very nice. I mean, it would really help out. Um, and for example, that's what Chris did. Yeah. So um, one of my main limiting factors for where I would go to graduate school was geography, being in the same general area. Um, and then, uh, UT Austin, because, um, not a safe school, I wouldn't say it was a safe school decision. It was actually where, um, I told the graduate research fellowship that I was going and just briefly, like, uh, you have to tell them at least one graduate school that you are applying to. So I told them I was going to that one because it was strategically based on the project that I was pitching. Um, it made sense. It was logical. The research that they were doing there would have complemented my proposal really well, but there was a low chance it was going to go to Austin. Mm -hmm. I just want to leave Texas too. I've grown up here all my life. Yeah, um, so it's a good change. I mean, come on, go to the West coast for graduate school. It sounds awesome. In a time where you're going to be very stressed, very overworked, the beach to know good. that the weather is going to be around 70 degrees year round yeah. um, is pretty outstanding. Um, so um, yeah, uh, Southern California is where I decided I wanted to apply. I looked at the programs there. Again, I mentioned at the beginning applying to, Biomedical sciences, molecular biology, every, so there, I guess the next level of deciding what programs is, again, in a new, unique situation where I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do when going to graduate school. And I think, funny enough, like a lot of people who say they do end up changing their mind in the first like few months or year <laughs> of graduate school. So um, that is nothing to be concerned about, by the way, um, not knowing exactly what you want to study for the rest of your life. Like no one expects you to be completely sure, but they do expect you to have at least some sort of idea, idea least, yeah. or direction or yeah, like not nothing that's binding, but something that like you've thought about and like a clear trajectory in that you, in, in, in one you could take. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, nothing like I, no one's going to remember what you put in your personal statement as far as what you wanted to do. I think even after you get your PhD, like, you may want to do oh, yeah, something you do else. Whatever you yeah, want. that's so that's one of the beauties and what drew me to getting a PhD is mm -hmm. like I can do whatever I want. I can, so I applied to what's called like 
interdisciplinary, interdepartmental programs, um, or what, what's commonly called an umbrella program, which consists of a lot of different PhD programs um, that go in through the same kind of application pool. And typically in those programs, your first year, you're grouped with like a very large class. And then after that first year, and this is common among most PhD programs or master's programs too, I think, you, did, you then decide which lab you want to go into. And then that lab is also associated with some sort of like a home area, a sub program under that umbrella program. So I thought that was best because I'd only been in one research lab before and I hadn't really seen a lot of other research labs a little bit, but never like truly worked in one for a long time to really understand what other lab cultures could be like. So that flexibility, that um, interdepartmental structure I, f I thought was best for me and a lot more programs are doing that these days. Um, I do really agree with that. And um, I'm, I'm very appreciative of the flexibility I'm going to get. Um, and that's another thing I would just, you know, like talk about it just like, I guess the more flexibility in a program, the better I would say, you know, I ever want to be like bound to something. Um, unless, I, I wouldn't say, I, I feel like, having as much flexibility to pursue what you want to do your science with, who you want to do it with is very um, valued. Uh, so I applied to a bunch of those. Um, most of the programs I applied to, they didn't require me to choose a lab until after I did about three rotations where I tour three different people's labs for like a, a quarter or so or a semester, for example. And they don't even tell you like the like the you don't have to tell them the PhD degree that you even want. Sometimes you can just say, "I want to join this umbrella program. I'll figure that out later." Again, you want your personal statement to be kind of more specific, but nothing is binding. So geography. Then I narrowed it down to what is kind of interdisciplinary, what is more flexible. Those those umbrella programs that I apply to. And then it was just like, okay, well, what about the research? You'll notice, like, that's the third thing that I considered. For some pe other people, it would be, like, the second, maybe. Sometimes even the first, so for some people. Yeah, so if you're not like me, you might just know, like, all your life, like, there's someone in my life, all the, like, for a long time, at least, they wanted to work on um, uh, bioengineering, like, like um, skin transplants and stuff. So if, if that's you, like, by all means, yeah, like, go apply to a specific program, you know, send it. Um, but that wasn't me. So... Then I dove into like the research and there's just so much research out there. I mean, I had like a full Excel sheet. It was a lot of information um, and you're tempted to like read through a bunch of articles, but like there's just, even if you apply to like four programs, it's just a lot. So I look at the faculty that are part of this umbrella program or the home area that I want to look for. And I look for trends like UCLA, really big on amyloid diseases studying those what's, HIV what's amyloid? amyloid is a intrinsically disordered protein that's responsible for diseases like um, Alzheimer's disease, type two diabetes, a lot of the big bad diseases that are currently hard to treat. So UCLA is um, they have a lot of faculty members that are really interested in that and tackling it from different directions. So if I'm at all interested in that, which I am, uh, that was immediately one of those like, oh, yeah, this, this might actually be a really good place to go. And then you just kind of had to like 
take all that information and say, okay, well, how many schools do I want to apply to? How competitive are these schools? I, again, I applied to eight schools because I applied to a lot of competitive schools. These are, I, these for the most part, were not very, like, I was not sure I was going to get into any of these schools. I'll just say, um, I did take kind of a risk there. Um, uh, fortunately I did get offer or yeah, offers from a few. Uh, so why was your approach that way? Like, why didn't you apply to a quote unquote safe school? That's a Just good question. Like a, That's a really good a question. Maybe. So I think part of it was, you know, if I really wanted to do this, I didn't want to just go to like a quote unquote safe school. Um, I really wanted to like go all in. So I, I mean, only one podcast last semester, <laughs> I worked extremely hard on that application, on the fellowship, um, and, and my coursework. Because, um, you know, I wanted to see if I could get into what I would be satisfied with as a really competitive program where I could get exceptional training. And so I selected those programs. I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't say that's what you should do. That's what you shouldn't. I'm, that's not my place. That's just kind of like based on my experience. That's what I did. Um, I was fortunate enough to get interviews at those programs, but like, I don't know that it could have gone differently. And in that case, there are plan B's. My plan B could have been to work for a company for a couple of years, get some more experience that maybe a program was looking for. Um, plenty of biotech companies in the Austin area that I could have definitely done. Um, or, um, you know, there's like an MSEC program at Texas state where you get your master's and it's like a like a bridge program into getting into a PhD program mm -hmm. after your master's. So that's something I could have done as well. I prefer to just go straight to PhD because I think one of the best times to apply for a PhD program is your senior year, no matter how, I guess, um, competitive you might think you are because your senior year, you have all these faculty around you that are like this support group that can help you. If I would have then gone and worked for a company for a couple years, yeah, I'd have more experience. My CV would be much better, but like you're kind of removed from academia for a while. You get kind of, you kind of lose that. Those like bumpers in a bowling lane. Like, I don't know. You uh, lose I, I that get what you in, mean. Uh, drive almost. Yeah. Um, you have to kind of get back into it. And I'm not saying it's impossible. And plenty of people do that. I think the average age of uh, entering a PhD program or, or medical school for that matter is like 25. Like 25 yeah. It's older than, I mean, this. Older than you'd think. Absolutely. So again, not telling people how they should do anything, just my experience. I felt like I was supported very well into applying to graduate school, and I, that's what I wanted, so that's what I did. Um, but there were plan Bs as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, we've gone through pretty much most of the list. I guess the final thing in choosing the program was like, what, what, what do I want my career to be in? After all this is over, after all this training is over, you know, I, for, I'm, I've always, I like teaching. I've always wanted to be in academia, but just like it was with med school, you know, all I know is academia pretty much. I don't have internship experience. Mm. So who knows throughout graduate school, I might totally change my mind, start up a company or something, for example, or go work for the FDA and the government. I don't know if you know this, but I, I know during uh, graduate school, um, you can take a semester off and do internship. Yes. It's not like a quote unquote semester off. Like obviously it depends on the PI and the program and a bunch of other stuff. But when I did my internships, there was a couple of 
students that were graduate students that like basically for that summer they decided to do like industry work or and i know other like uh i knew of other graduate yeah. students who were there for the whole quote-unquote fall semester and it was like yeah they it's were like there just getting yeah they graduate getting experience. it's kind of like in college you do an internship in the summer like very similar um and so great transition into my point which is when choosing the program if you really want to work in industry look in the programs and see do they have good workshops or connections with companies in that area um that maybe you could get a job directly after your phd do they have um training sessions do they have a structured into the program an opportunity for you to do an internship with that company because if they don't it might be still possible but like you said it's kind of difficult when it comes to funding and if you're part of somebody's lab you're going to leave for a few months like how does that work exactly. it's complicated but if a program has it already built in that's very appealing. That's that's something that you might want to consider when choosing a program as well. So um, with all that information, I mean, it was so hard to narrow it down. I think I went from like 18 to 8. Yeah, I mean, and it wasn't just in California at first. I was like, well, maybe I can try this long distance thing with my partner. Problem is I've been doing that for years now. So it's not really something I wanted to continue doing. Um, and so narrowing it down was very difficult, but ultimately you got to make a decision, right? So um choosing the the career options that you want is kind of like one of those final things that like again you have no idea what you're going to do five years from now i mean maybe you do but five years ago compared exactly like i mean the next five years are not going to be as sporadic as hopefully the last five years (laughs) uh at least for us but um that's the general trend but having that again the more flexibility in the program is is really appealing so that's kind of what i did um i chose those eight programs um I've gotten interviews from four. Still waiting to hear back from two. I got denied from two thus far. Um, and I mean, I, I don't know. I'm very satisfied. Like I'm kind of entering that senioritis thing, um, you know, enjoying those conversations with these faculty members from different universities. got me all excited. Um, honestly, could not be more happy. Um, and I guess that's all I say because I don't want to give too much advice. I just want to share my experience. I think it's a good idea to um, share the experience, share what worked for you, and let people who hear decide what works for them and what doesn't work for them. Because I think most of the decisions made throughout, you know, between 18 and 22, I would say, are based on personality, right? And it's like uh, most of them at least. Because it's very much your personality to, you know, probably the way you even approach this whole application process. Because, um, and again, not to go into much depth into this, but, you know, you may might have taken a gap year. And, you know, in that gap year, you can work, you can do a master's, you know, you can do a lot of different things. But your personality is, I'm in this state and I'm going to keep that work drive, you know, going, you know, into graduate school. And that's a personality thing, right? A lot of other people are like, I've been working really hard for years. I need a break and then I'll start back up. And that's also a personality thing. And so I think it's good to at least share like what worked for you. And then maybe somebody would be like, you know, maybe I think I'm more of a, I need a break and then I'll keep it going. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people who are like, I want a break after college. I want to just travel. Like I, I get all that. And you know, like part of me does want to do that too. And maybe there's a way to do a little bit of both, but like, I guess as an audience, if you're listening, you, you have this, maybe there are 
are some people who have this inclination to be like, oh, there's this clear path that he just carved out. He just got into UCLA. Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, as soon as I, you know, get to my senior year, I'm going to apply to graduate school. I'm going to apply to UCLA. I'm going to apply to these interdepartmental programs. And um, that's going to be what I do. And it's like, this goes back to my point. You need to talk to a lot of people. If there were more podcasts like these, you should listen to other podcasts where people talk about their experience in applying to graduate school. Because um, I by no means think that this was the best way of applying to graduate school. Um, I, you know, I don't even know if this was a good way. I, it worked for me. So um, that, that's all I can really say is um, talk to as many people as you can um, and think for yourself. Not, not, don't allow me to like tell you how you should apply to graduate school if that's even what you want. Just like Dr. Peterson didn't fully yeah. influence your decision. Exactly. I think that's basically what we're trying to do here is don't base your decisions off of what you're listening to right now. Just get get the opinions, get the experiences, and then, you know, you yourself try to make some decisions off of that. Um, I think a good way to maybe um, wrap this up uh, is if you could tell somebody who will be, I mean, I am that somebody, basically, mm-hmm. Uh, who will be starting this process relatively soon. Um, let's just say probably in the summer, you know, mm-hmm. things will start, you know, going in the along. Summer, yeah, um, let's keep it non-academic. All right. Something that you will tell me, I'm about to start this process. Maybe a piece of advice or something to be cautious with. That's not like a, get your CV ready. Or mm-hmm. like, you know, because we've mm-hmm. talked about that. I mean, more like a... The a secret 11th thing to do before graduate school. Yes. What is a bonus that? round? You're here. You made it this far. Thank you if you did. It was a lot of work. Mm. Treat it as if it's a four credit course. Wow. Allow yourself that time every week. Sit down. Spend time on it. You don't want to be rushed. As soon as the semester starts, start looking at programs. Don't dive, you know, full speed. But like, like, like Chris said last last time, kind of like over time, start ramping up, build on how many programs you're looking at and all that stuff, um, for a much more graceful finish line than what I did, which was a very steep mm. kind of, and that's a. It has to do with procrastination, but um, having that kind of all planned out, you don't have to know very soon ahead, but just spend time on it. Show a lot of people your application, get a lot of perspectives. That'll do wonders for you and make for a much less stressful experience because it is stressful, but you're also preparing yourself for something that's going to be a very long and meaningful but difficult career so that's what i would say good well that was that was it um i think i hope right whoever uh, made it this far uh that they at least got something um out of this conversation i definitely did um I'm glad we sat down and talked about this formally. Uh, we've had conversations like this at dinner or, you know, every so often. But I'm glad we sat down and I would say not even full detailed because we can definitely, this could oh, be I could definitely. Go, I mean, if you want, we could go for another I'm kind of I'm kind of hungry. I'm tired. Um, but there's but yeah. so much more. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, 
Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll get to see uh, Dr. Corral.